Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Social justice-minded uh, Christians, Christians who engage, and by social justice-minded, I mean like organizers and activists, not just people who agree with it, but who are putting their hands to the work, often look at Jesus flipping over tables as kind of the emblematic indication of like Jesus's willingness to disrupt, Jesus's willingness to go into uh, economic systems and social systems and religious systems and to use conflict as a method of love. Uh, that's what we see in the flipping over tables. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, it's a couple of people's life verse here at New City Church. And I just wanted to be clear that like the flipping tables verse is not the only verse where Jesus uses conflict as a method of love. In fact, when we look through the entirety of Jesus's ministry, there are many uh, moments where he is disruptive, where he's confrontational, where he raises his voice, where he um, um, gets into debate with, with the folks uh, in his community. And these might be people that he is um, uh, enemies with, with people who are antagonistic to him. These might be with folks who he considers his dear friends, people in his inner circle. Jesus uses conflict as a method of love for both uh, people who are antagonizing him directly and for people that he wants to show affection for. This is throughout Jesus's ministry. And of course, we see this in today's scripture where Jesus interrupts Sukkot. Let's get into a little bit of context here. Um, uh, Sukkot, is the festival of booths, is a, a very important uh, Jewish tradition. It's actually very beautiful. If any of you have uh, ever participated in Sukkot, then um, please like put that in the chat. I love it. So um, traditionally, and of course there are many traditions of Judaism, so like it, it is expressed very differently around the world, but um, traditionally from the research that I've done and what I've experienced when I lived in the Holy Land, uh, folks create kind of like an outdoor uh, eating area with three walls and a thatched roof then you can uh, watch the stars through, and people eat their meals outside, and some people even sleep outside, um, and there's, there's a lot of uh, elements to it. Uh, that is all in commemoration of when Moses was leading a wandering, ragtag group of people out of the empire through a wilderness. All of this ritual is to um, commemorate, to dedicate, to remember God's faithfulness through that. And uh, one of the, the moments that is really important for that is when a rabbi takes a pitcher of water and pours it onto an altar. Yeah, uh, we have folks who have built a sukkah every year. Um, it's so great. Yeah, I hope you all take uh, Rachel up on that because it's, it's, a really beautiful, um, it's a really beautiful practice. And I... Um, uh, got a great quote from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He said, if I were to summarize the message of Sukkot, I'd say it's a tutorial in how to live with insecurity and still celebrate life.
If I were to summarize the message of Sukkot, I'd say it's a tutorial on how to live with insecurity and still celebrate life. Now I know that no one listening to this worship service needs to uh, celebrate life with an insecurity because no one's feeling insecure at <laughs> New City Church. And by insecurity, we mean like literally not secure. Like literally the air itself is not safe to breathe. Like I'm, sh I'm sure that that is um, not <laughs> part of it. No, but Sukkot is a beautiful ritual. And, um, and it's something that I, um, as a Christian, like really um, have learned a lot from by observing this with my uh, Jewish siblings, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, as in faith siblings, I don't have any biological siblings who are Jewish. Yes, um, so uh, there is kind of like a way that uh, Christian preachers often say like, you know, there was like a, Jesus was like doing Jewish stuff, but then he was like, nah, this, you all are like practicing a dead religion and this is what we have to do. And it a lot of times turns into a little bit of anti-Semitism. And I don't believe that is actually the message of the Gospels. And I think that we betray the Bible by interpreting the Gospels in that way. Um, and furthermore, we betray the spirit of God by persecuting Jewish people. So I, I think that this, is, this instance of scripture is a really important case study to look at how Jesus is engaging uh, uh, tradition, engaging his community, engaging powers. So, right, so uh, Sukkot, um, uh, the festival was going on, traditionally folks would go to Jerusalem, and so Jesus, like, got his whole folks together to go to Jerusalem. Um, and on the most important day, there's a ritual where a rabbi takes a pitcher of water from the Pool of Siloam and then pours it onto the altar. And this is kind of uh, commemorating that um, God brought forth water from a rock uh, while Moses was wandering around with people. They were in a desert. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, we don't have water. And God brought forth water from a rock. And so that like picture is there to remind folks that God brings water even when we're in like kind of desperate situations. And, um, uh, and it is also a time when uh, traditionally people would pray for rainfall for that year. It's like uh, asking God uh, for that. Um, some Jewish theologians go so far as to say that it's the day that God decides how much rain will fall that year. Um, and so like all of these prayers are all tied up into it. And Jesus was participating in all of this, by the way. Like Jesus wasn't like, ah, I don't like Jewishness because Jesus was Jewish, and he was participating in all of this, honoring all of it, you know, being with community and all of it. And uh, even the most deeply held traditions, even the most sacredly held uh, rituals of a community can become oppressive if there isn't room for conflict within even those sacred traditions. Even the, the things that are meant to mark liberation can become the grounds for oppression if if it's like we have to silence ourselves in order to be able to participate in this. I was just on a panel uh, the other month with someone who was talking about um, his experience in the black community. He's a black gay man and he was like um, there sometimes there is a, um, 
a silencing, there is like an in-group, out-group of like, we can't show that we're in conflict with each other when other people, especially white people, are watching. But sometimes that means there's a silencing of voices and that that applies intersectionally. So he was instead advocating for a black ethic of liberation where conflict between folks can happen publicly and privately so that uh, we can we can center marginalized voices. And I thought this was like so prophetic and so helpful and so insightful because uh, it's not just the black community that hides conflict. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been to like Thanksgiving dinner where you felt like conflict was uh, had it to be kind of shut down or if, if any of you have like previously gone to a church where you kind of felt like conflict had to be shut down, like all of these moments and spaces, like obviously um, Thanksgiving and, uh, well, obviously families gathering together over celebratory meals, obviously gathering for church, obviously um, conversations within communities of color are all sacred things. And if, if we don't allow for conflict to occur within sacred things, that kind of fouls the sacredness of it. It, it corrupts the sacredness of it, because sometimes conflict is the method of love that God is calling us towards. And if we can't live into the method of love that God puts on our heart in that moment, then it, it, it suddenly starts to wither. The space loses integrity. And so Jesus, feeling uh, led by God to create a certain type of conflict doesn't say, like, this is a terrible idea. Uh, I don't like this Jewish tradition at all. I'm an anti-Semite. Like, not that. (laughs) Jesus instead looks at this and says, like, that there is a, a hope of God that is available, that is as abundant and full and alive as a river, and it comes through relationship. Uh, Jesus, in, especially in the Gospel of John, cares a lot about relationship, and the like. shorthand for that is through belief, but I understand belief as an incarnate belief, a belief that says, like, I can trust in someone. And so Jesus is like, those who feel like they're in relationship with me through God, those who feel like there is a God who is like, not just some, someone who interacted with our ancestors, as important as that is, but who continues to unfold, who continues to surge through, like that is, that is how we will uh, end the, dr- the spiritual drought of our world. That is how we will pour out into all of the parched places of the world. So Jesus invites people to follow him as like, uh, uh, the mouth of a river uh, that flows with the abundant streams of God. And it was a certain type of conflict. It was a certain type of interruption. It was a certain type of disruption. And I know that that's hard for folks who, uh, like we saw in the chat, maybe folks who are identify as an Enneagram 9, like uh, peacemakers out there, for folks who are like, I just like it when things are kind of just like calm and nice. And I I know that that can be really hard. And Jesus invites us to do hard things. So we engage in conflict when God puts on our heart that conflict is the method of love. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Of course, 
God also says, blessed are the peacemakers. So this doesn't mean that those folks who answered in the, in the poll on the first answer can just go and like bazookas out, just like, like you know, you can't just like firebomb everything. Um, because the point is, is that if we wed ourselves to one method of love, if we say love just looks like calmness or love just looks like conflict, that we won't be in the living stream of God, that, that God instead is like flowing and nimble and ample. And God sometimes calls us to, to lean in, to take space. And God sometimes calls us to lean out and make space. And like all of that can be love and all of it cannot be love. It all requires a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is inviting folks to in this story. He's saying, like, there is a, there's a certain type of relationship with the divine that God is reaching out to you to engage. And it's, like, almost kind of trippy to read this because, like, you're, I, well, I'll speak for myself. Like, I read this on the, as words on the page, and then it's like, wait a second. That call, that invitation is still being sent out. Like that river is still something that I can visit. That uh, flowing stream is something in which I can refresh myself. And this is the amazing gift of God. Um, and so when we look at conflict specifically, um, sometimes we like to uh, talk about you might have heard of like the window of tolerance, which is a concept by Peter Levine, um, Rachel Martin is someone at a New City who has done a lot of work based off of that. I designed my own little graphic to remind folks of um, of how conflict can go, and I'm I call it zones, and I'm gonna just switch to the graphic for a little bit. The uh, my audio is um, gonna cut out, so I'm just gonna invite you to take this in contemplatively, and then I'll switch it right back. So here we are. Get that? So, um, so this is kind of how we can can imagine conflict. Like um, in the chat right now, uh, I would love to see where do you see gardens in the Bible. I'm thinking of areas, <laughs> three particular ones, but there's actually a, at least one bonus one in the chat. Um, tell me where do you where are there gardens in the Bible? Yeah, so um, like the Garden of Eden is right there in the beginning of the Bible, right there in Genesis. And it's like the garden that God creates that is like without sin, right? Um, and then, uh, yep, there's uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus, um, uh, the garden where Jesus prayed right before he died. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane is also... Um, uh, or the Gospel of John also has Mary confusing Jesus as a gardener. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, Song of Solomon is a great extra credit answer. Good job. Yeah, yeah, love that. At the very end of the Bible, there's another garden. Uh, you might remember from our Revelation sermon series that there's kind of like a tree with the leaves of healing for all nations and an abundant river that waters plants on either side of it. 
and the Holy Spirit is the, that water. And so we see three, at least three um, gardens in the Bible, Eden, Gethsemane, and, and Revelation, that kind of try to capture what God's imagination for relationship is. Because in the garden, what happens? Of course, there is sharing and abundance. Of course, there is harvest. But I don't know if any of you have gardened before, but it, gardening is work. Like gardening is... <laughs> I worked on a farm for a little bit of my life. Like gardening, growing stuff is like work. You are dirty. You are pulling stuff out of the ground. There is sun. Like, of course, it's beautiful and fulfilling and worthwhile. But it's like, it takes engagement. And what if we imagined heaven and, and like, what if we imagined our ideal community, not just as a place where we can always relax, but a place where our work can be meaningful and fulfilling. A place where the sweat of our brow results in the culmination of our community. What if, what if the sharing comes from like deep labor that feels like we're alive? Like that's the, gar that's the garden area. And uh, when, we, when we think about gardens, that's kind of the energetic level that we're talking about for engaging community. So what we mean is like, it's not just that you're completely slumped back and it's not that you're all the way forward, we'll get to those, but that rather the garden zone is like, I am aware, I am ready, I am responsive, I am online. Uh, that's, that's the zone where relationships are most conducively created in community. So to the left of, of that area is what we call the battle zone. Uh, in the chat, you might... Uh, by the way, I'm very impressed with how many people are responding to these Bible quizzes. Um, uh, in the chat, you might recall like how many battles there have been in the Bible. A ton of, like, more than we can even name, really, uh, from Old Testament, Revelation, all that stuff. Uh, a lot of battles. And battle, that battle zone is the elevated kind of fight or flight response. That is where you are like, I'm getting ready to go, or I'm getting ready to fight. Um, and that, like, battle zone is an, is an elevated energetic experience. So the garden zone is like, Yes, I'm engaged, I'm online, I'm with you. The battle zone is when it starts to be like, okay, I gotta go. And, uh, and uh, that's also biblically <laughs> represented all over the place. And frankly, a uh, fight or flight response is helpful when you need to fight or when you need to fly away. Like if there was a saber-toothed tiger wandering into your cave, it would be valuable for you to have a lot of energetic resource to be able to flee. And so, like, it's not bad, it's just that in the battle zone, it's less likely that you will create relationship. And so a lot of our work at New City, anti-racist work and also community building work in general, is to be able to identify when people are slipping into the battle zone and how to kind of, like, regulate, how to invite yourself back to the garden. And, um, and I, I would be uh, curious in the chat, like, um, when you're feeling like really revved up, when your energy is up to here, what are things that you can do that can kind of help you re-enter the garden to step back to the river of living water? What are things that kind of like help bring you back? I know that for me, um, prayer is an essential practice. 
I love journaling a welcoming prayer. I do it every morning, sometimes multiple times a day, depending on what kind of day I'm having, okay? Yeah, um, I, lo I love um, walking uh, in nature. Humming and singing is huge, just like, oh, bringing kind of your body into an experience of that. Doing some deep breathing exercises. You, uh, in previous Sundays, we talked about square breathing, where you inhale, hold, exhale, hold for the same amount of time. Like all of these things, going for a long walk, absolutely. Any kind of exercise. Lift something heavy, absolutely. Remember that one time where, when I was growing up, I somehow was under the impression that exercise was to make you hot. Exercise is not to make you hot. Exercise is to like help you like live in the body that you are in. <laughs> like exercise is to help like release some things. Like sometimes you need to like move something heavy to uh, get some to move some things through. I love that. Breathing, petting a dog, absolutely sitting near water, getting on a bike when there is air quality for biking, absolutely. So these are all strategies that kind of like help to bring you into the garden zone, right? I love that singing came up several times. This, as you might imagine, is one of the reasons why we have singing in church, because singing helps us to enter presence with God. Holding a freakishly large rock from the beach in my hands sounds weird, but it's grounding. Oh, I get it. I absolutely get it. Um, like throwing stuff, like chopping stuff, pushing stuff, lifting stuff, pulling stuff, like all of that is, very satisfying. So, um, uh, so that's the, the battle zone and garden interaction. And then on the other side of it is the frozen wasteland. And the frozen wasteland, this is kind of where we think of um, the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel, where we think of the tomb uh, that Jesus was put in after his crucifixion before resurrection. These are kind of the like energetic places. So if battle zone is up here, the frozen wasteland is like, like, uh, some call it like the rest and digest place where it's just like, I'm gonna kind of like chill out for a little bit. It's like you're a honey badger and you just ate a bunch of honey and then you're gonna like go over and just like sleep off the bee poison. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, I'm gonna numb out a little bit. I'm gonna disengage a little bit. Um, for the sake of self-preservation. Both of these are for self-preservation, by the way, the battle zone and the frozen wasteland. And so the frozen wasteland is kind of just um, the place where you're uh, settling into yourself, which also disrupts active relationship and community. So uh, when there's conflict and folks are like, I can't even engage the conflict, I gotta go. I'm gonna check my phone. I'm gonna play Candy Crush again. Like all of that is a frozen wasteland response. Sometimes a collapse response would be a word. Um, and like there are, um, there are things that we can do to elevate our body to be able to get into the garden zone as well. And so uh, let's let's put it in the um, uh, in the chat. Like, what are things that you do when you're kind of like slumped over that kind of help to like bring you into awareness? Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, like drinking some water. 
uh, pacing in a circle. I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big pacer in my life. Um, absolutely. Um, listening to music that has kind of a little bit of energy, a little bit of rhythm to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, a good cup of coffee. Bless the Lord. Like, just a little bit of like, okay, I am like rising into uh, who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, I, <laughs> we're still talking about the freakishly large rock. Honestly, like, exercise does kind of help you get into this because your body's like, oh, I need to pay attention because I have, like, a weight in my hand that I uh, need to manage. Yep. Journaling, absolutely. Uh, going outside, yeah. Nature's really good at waking you up because nature is awake. Um, and the sun is very helpful for your circadian rhythm. Okay, so I think we... I, I, I'm getting that we're... Um, this might be when I read a thing. You get more energized from reading. Listen, God bless you. This is why I never went for a PhD. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I think you. I think you get the idea that sometimes it's like uh, uh, too like battle zony, and sometimes it's like kind of numbing out. And so like sometimes I talk about like you freak out or you numb out, and neither of those are conducive to relationship and being present. Um, uh, and I also think that, like, the garden zone, the more we inhabit the garden zone, the more we build out the garden zone, the more we, like, expand the riverbed of this stream of life, the more we can stay in there for really intense uh, situations. And this is what I believe Jesus was showing us in this scripture. Like, hey, I can do something that is going to require a little bit of elevated energy, like I am shouting, I am in front of people, I am directing attention away from the thing that is supposed to be directed to, and I'm saying something that is truthful and honest. Like, I'm not just, like, spouting off, like, someone who, I don't know if you have been to a protest where someone is in their battle zone and then just, like, grabs the mic and starts going off. Like, he's, like, staying present in this, you know? And, um... I believe that this is relevant for us today as we look at water because New City is engaged in line three, supporting line three activists. One of the folks in our community, uh, Joe Meinholtz, is an organizer who has been at the camps uh, at uh, uh, line three. And he sent me um, some, some things that he wanted to make sure that we uh, talked about as we talked about line three. So. First of all, is just naming that Line 3, which is an oil pipeline that's uh, being planned to go through native grounds uh, and underneath the um, Mississippi River. So it's the equivalent of 50 coal plants moving the dirtiest oil in the planet from tar sands. So essentially, this Line 3 is setting off a climate bomb. Um, and it's important to water. We are 20% of the world's fresh water, and this, pipeline's threaten this pipeline threatens it if it spills. I've witnessed five drilling spills these past two weeks at the headwaters. Anishinaabe hold water as sacred and defend the wild rice as a sacred food source. Majority of good ricing beds directly threatened on a 300-mile pipeline route. And then lastly, uh, and just in terms of indigenous relations, like treaties are two-way agreements between sovereign Ojibwe nations and the U.S. government uh, to be together as good neighbors. We can uphold the settler end of this agreement by stop breaking promises and live in a sustainable way together with the land. 
two sovereign nations currently oppose, opposing the project are in court right now. Native women are targeted for, se uh, for sex trafficking along the route. Extraction and colonialism are violence against the land and its people. Currently, the project is almost done drilling and completing on the ground of destruction. Uh, construction. Time to come to, uh, it's time to come to the resistance camps in the next two weeks as they drill under the Mississippi. Biden can stop the project any day and consult the tribes, so distributed actions around the world are key to stopping this deadly flow of oil. So much good spiritual truth in this fight and intersectional work for healing, thanks, and sharing tomorrow. And so, like, I just wanted to bring that in because, like, when we talk about stepping into the river of life, when we talk about receiving this Holy Spirit river of life, we're not just talking about, like, how you talk to your roommate about who didn't clean out the toaster. We're talking about world transformation, like how to engage real systems. And, um, and I just want to uh, play a video for you all of the Line 3 water protectors engaging uh, folks, uh, uh, the policing folks who are uh, trying to stop them from their protesting. And I just want you to like feel in your body that there's some buzziness, there's some conflict, like there's definitely some this energy. So just like notice what happens for you in that. And then like notice how these water protectors are engaging that conflict.